Thank you for tuning in and welcome to another epic edition of the Jerry Jones Show. Hosted by Jerry Jones, along with his sidekick, Kevin Anderson. Each and every episode is guaranteed to increase your profits and decrease your stress in dentistry. Welcome to the show. Hello, everybody. Jerry Jones here. And, uh, man, I'm, I'm excited. we got another phenomenal guest with us. I've spent a few minutes here uh, getting to know him a little bit and learn um, about their firm and what's going on. Um, and you're going to want to pay close attention because we've got some great material to go over with you this month. Um, and with me on the line, I've got uh, Mr. Craig Cody, a CPA, um, all the way out in Manhasset, New York. Um, he's about as far away from me as he can get, which he's probably very happy about right now. Um, <laughs> but, uh, anyway, uh, Craig, can you hear me okay? I hear you great. Thank you oh, very okay. much for having me. Man, I'm excited. So, um, I'm, I'm, and you are the pedigree of one of New York's finest. Is that is that the case? Yes, yes, yes. That's um, true. Tell that's me a little true. bit about that, because I want. I, I mean, you grew up. You were born and raised on Long, Long Island, as they say there in New York. <laughs> yeah. um, I had to, I had to do. That. I had to try my New York accent because you know, in the Northwest, we don't have accents, according to uh, <laughs> us here in the Northwest. Um, tell me a little bit about your dad. I mean, that's growing up with a policeman in the New York City Police Department. That's got to be. I mean, today that would be like a huge badge of honor. What was it like growing up for you as a kid? Well, you know, it was it it was nothing out of the ordinary for me in that you know I, I grew up in a, a very blue collar neighborhood, so you know pretty much everybody was a civil servant for the most part. Uh huh. So it was it was you know you don't know what you don't know. Right. So, uh, uh, and I and went you to school, were you, know, and my, you decided to pursue the same career for a while. Right, and my, you know, my dad obviously, you know, wanted better for his kids, and uh, we went to college. And uh, at some point, I decided, you know what? Geez, if I can make fifty thousand dollars a year before I retire, I'll be set. And uh, I joined the police department. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, those were those ten dollar uh, drinking weekends in college. I think, you know, uh, that's exactly right. Or you could eat and drink for for ten dollars. You think, okay, fifty grand, I'll be set. So um, right. I wound up. Uh, we, you know, as was the case, we all took the test for civil service and. Um, went through the motions, and then I got called, and I said, yo, all right, let's do this. And uh, I had a great run. Um, I did a lot of things. I was going to be a chief. Uh, that was my goal. And civil services, you, you have to wait for the test to come up. So I was a young sergeant, and I waited 10 years to become a lieutenant. At that point, I had three kids, and I started thinking about other things, and uh, I really enjoyed um, taxes. I was originally an economics major, so I went back to school to get my accounting degree. And um, when I retired, I actually went to work for a CPA firm. And, you know, to top it all off, my son is now a third-generation New York City police officer. Wow. Well, uh, Craig, I want to thank you, your dad, and your son. Um, you yeah. know, that being, a, being, you know, as they say, first responders and, and serving the great folks of New York City and, and New York uh, State, I mean, that's a big deal. And so thank you for that. Um, I think it's important for us to get to know the people we deal with. Um, I, I didn't know you were a cop at one point, and I think that's really stinking cool. One of my best friends is, um, is a, a lieutenant in Oregon State Police, or captain, I'm sorry, he was just promoted a captain here shortly ago, um, uh, in the Oregon State Police, um, and he's a trooper, and, he's, and I'm, I'm proud of him. So um, thank you. That's, that's yep. super cool. I love that your son also um, followed in your, in, in your footsteps. So, well, um, we got a lot to cover, and we got you know maybe about an hour uh, to go over some stuff. So um, you're a CPA. You're also uh, what I find interesting is a certified tax coach. So you went from you went from chasing down bad guys and you know and putting your life on the line every day to now dealing with 
something that is not nearly as life not life threatening, but it certainly has probably got to be as frustrating. <laughs> What's your taxes? What do you find the similarities between the just the I always say the adrenaline rush you would get chasing a perp down the streets of New York City, when you save somebody twenty, fifty thousand dollars a year in taxes, that's a rush too. So you got so, clients that you're saving between twenty and fifty grand a year in taxes. I mean, there's people out there making that bad of mistakes. Yes, it's called fail, failing to plan. Well, I think we got, <laughs> we got a lot to talk about today then. Um, so something else I found kind of interesting about your firm, uh, and I like it, and I like it for a lot of reasons, and that is you don't work with only dentists because there's a lot of, there's a lot of firms running around out here in the United States. I'm, I know some of the CPAs and some good guys, but they spend their life um, working only with dental practices. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily uh, – I don't think it's a bad decision, but I don't know if it's the best decision. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, we we say we we don't focus on dental practices because you know a, a dental office, you know, as far as from a accounting standpoint, is really not that much different than any other professional service organization, um, and we want to be able to you know give our clients the knowledge we get from doing different things and taking all that and rolling it into whoever that client is we're working with, and and honestly, you know, you want to be well versed in real estate because you know successful dental owners, they're buying real estate, they're getting into investments and stuff like that. So I don't like to call us, you know, people, while we have a a lot of dental clients, we just don't focus on dental clients. Well, I kind of like that philosophy because to me it's concerning. It's kind of like, you know, I mean, let's let's put this in terms that that, um, the folks listening who are all doctors, uh, dentists, can relate to. So let's say, for example, um, I go to a dentist, and all that dentist has ever been exposed to is crown and bridge, fillings, and root canals. That dentist knows nothing about implants or the benefits of implants. He knows nothing about ortho, the benefits of orthodontics. He knows nothing about treating sleep apnea and snoring, um, and on and on and on. And I go to this dentist, and what I don't realize and what that dentist doesn't realize is that my misaligned teeth are causing me to snore. Or they're, you know, or I've got an airway that's just narrow, and I should be wearing, you know, a, a tap appliance. If that dentist doesn't know that, he can't treat me the way he would really like to, right? I mean, because all dentists, I mean, 99.9% of the dentists out there are are there to do good things, and not having the knowledge base prevents them from doing all of the good that they could possibly do. So in this case, if you focus solely on dentistry, to me, it it. it it would like it would be you doing a disservice if you didn't understand the benefits of real estate, if you didn't understand the benefits of cost segregation, or didn't understand the benefits of perhaps seg- segmenting equipment out of the business and into a separate entity. And, and I may be talking jargon to some fo- um, to some of our folks listening, but I think we might get into some of this stuff. So I kind of like the idea that you're that you have um, you know you have a variety of clients where you can pull strategies from them. And, and apply them to your dental clients. And I think maybe that's something that could be missing from some of the other um, approaches that are, that are taken. I don't know that, but it just seems to kind of make sense to me. So um, I yeah, like that. Well, look, yeah, you know, like I said, most CPAs, they're really good. They're putting the right numbers in the right boxes. Yeah, you know, yeah. And if they're focused on one group, they may be you know, too narrowly focused. But 
by dealing with a lot of different clients in different industries, you learn. You, of course, you have to learn, okay? And then you're able to, when you're dealing with that dentist and he's looking to buy a building or he's doing some type of real estate or whatever it is, you have all that information to give him, which makes him you know, more confident in whatever he's doing. Yeah. And the ultimate goal is to really keep more of what you make. Yeah. And I, and I think it's hard, if you don't have a competent team that has some experience, um, it's like, you know, I, I've sold a number of companies. I've bought a lot of real estate, sold a lot of real estate, sold some companies. And whenever I get close to something like that, I'm, I'm putting my CPA together with my attorney, whoever is working on the deal. So that deal gets structured properly um, from a tax perspective and from, um, you know, from a, uh, from a perspective that makes sense on, you know, on the sale of, of whatever it is, the asset, um, you know, from, a, from an accounting and from a legal standpoint. So I think it's, you know, if you have just a, a very narrow focus, you, you may miss that kind of um, uh, information that can really cost you a lot in the, in the future when it comes to taxes. Um, so certified tax coach, um, why, why in the world would a dentist need one? I mean, what are, the, what are the advantages of having somebody in your corner that's a certified tax coach like you? Well, well, as a tax coach, I go to extensive training throughout the year. So most states, uh, CPAs need somewhere between 24 and 40 hours of continuing education a year. And that's usually focused on compliance type of work. Mm-hmm. I get another 40 to 60 hours a year in tax planning work, which is, you know, how can we legally save people money and what strategies can we use? So that's, as a tax coach, those are the things that we're focusing on. We're not focusing on learning more about the compliance work because we know how to do that. And obviously, 40 hours is enough to keep us abreast of what's going on. But the other stuff is all how can we help our client with the tax planning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, you're looking at that going, all right, so um, here's two or three things that are new with the tax code. Well, I don't think there's ever only been two or three things, more like two or 300 things that are new with the tax code every year. And, and you're taking that and, and taking it back to your practice and layering it onto, layering it or applying it to your existing clientele and looking for ways they can benefit from these new strategies or at the very least minimize the impact of some of the new tax tax laws that that are passed regularly that we don't even know about. You know, the average Joe citizen has no clue uh, what they're doing to us in the tax code. Um, it's so complex and convoluted and complicated. I, I see why, you know, it takes the study it does to, um, to understand it. So would, would that be a, a fair assessment? That's definitely a fair assessment. And, okay. you know, be, being able to, you know, it comes down to communication. Like you said, you know, you shouldn't be forming an entity based on what the attorney says. You know, the attorney, you, your CPA, you should all be communicating because if everyone communicates, it's going to be better for the client. And the same thing holds true throughout the year, communicating with your CPA. You need to communicate with him because you don't know what you don't know. And if he knows what you're doing and there's different things that, you know, we know, we can help you and guide you to, you know, be more compliant and save money. Yeah. I, I mean, you bring up a real important point. It's kind of like um, when, a, when a really smart physician says, uh, well, before we start the surgery, I want to make sure that this, this patient of mine is cleaned up. They've got you know, no, no evidence of periodontal disease, so I'm going to send them to a dentist, right? So it's, that, it's the uh, coordinating of care, um, essentially from a medical perspective, is just 
in this case, it's just based on the legal and accounting perspective. It's a coordinating. It's coordinating those two bodies because your your attorney is going to look at it from I, I need to protect my client standpoint, right? And your CPA is looking at it from I need to minimize the taxes standpoint. And so you really have to have them both on the same page because one necessarily doesn't mean the other. You know, one one of them doing the right thing doesn't necessarily translate to the other coming out very well. <laughs> so, Correct. you know, C Corp might be best legally uh, to protect us, but it it may not be ideal from a tax perspective. And and so there's you know I I I, I see now sort of the value of having that those coordinated, um, and I think our listeners will as well with that with that sort of comparison. Let's talk about some tax blunders because. Um, I've I've made a few. In fact, I've made so many mistakes. I don't know, Craig. You may not know this about me, but I've I've made you, and I doubt you do. But I've made so many mistakes. I ended up writing a book on 24 of my biggest mistakes. Um, and interestingly enough, those 24 mistakes, a lot of them have to do with financial mistakes and legal mistakes. So um, I can appreciate anybody who's making mistakes or has made them, because I think I've made as many, if not more, of most people. I've even invented a couple. Um, along the way that didn't exist before. So do you have some tax blunders um, that, that we can avoid and, and maybe a couple of uh, I, uh, things that you see common mistakes that the doctors are making and, um, you know, and, and, and how they might avoid them? Right. Well, the, the biggest mistake we see is failing to plan because, the, the, you know, they're working, on their, they're working on or in their business and they're not doing any planning and they're making this money and hopefully they're making a lot of it. Um, and they're not planning for it, and they wind up paying all this tax. Um, so that's the biggest mistake, mistake we see. Um, okay. Then, then you know, another mistake we see when we see uh, an accountant will come to us, and you know, their books are a mess. You know, because you know somebody in the office is responsible for it, and then it's getting out to the tax accountant at the end of the year, and they're basically just taking that information and you know throwing it into a you know a tax return. So nobody's really following up because, you know, the accountant is getting it in his busiest time of the year, so he doesn't have the time to really go through it, and he's right. not getting paid to go through it. And I always say, you know, you, you, too many people, business owners, look at their accountant, their CPA, as a cost. They should really be looking at them as an income generator because if you spend the time, okay, your savings are going to far outweigh your costs. So failing to plan is a big thing. Um, Incorrect bookkeeping or, or non-existent bookkeeping, you know, is, is, is another issue we see. Then there's always depreciation that's done incorrectly. Um, you know, that's another issue because somebody's not doing things the way they should be doing it. And it, no, it's usually somebody that's not, not tra- trained to be doing that. Somebody well, in the front office. Yeah, depreci- depreciation can really mess you up. I mean, you can end up paying a lot more in taxes. Uh, you can underpay in taxes if you, if you screw this up. Can you explain – now, I mean, for a CPA, depreciation is like, you know, that's like drinking water. It's not a big deal. You understand it. You grasp it. You know how things should be depreciated. You know different categories of depreciation for different assets. And obviously, accelerated depreciation may make sense in some cases. In others, it's like, no, don't do that. Can you explain a little bit about depreciation? Because I think that's a, a word that CPAs can toss around easily, just like, you know, uh, a dentist can toss around mesial distal occlusal. And a CPA is like, what did you just say? Um, so can you maybe explain the, the, the concept of depreciation and apply it perhaps to a piece of equipment? Right. So typically when, when let's just say you buy something in your practice, let's just say it's a, or you pay a bill in your practice, it's a lab bill. It's an expense right then and there. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you buy an asset, it's, it doesn't get expensed right away. It gets depreciated over its useful life. 
So depending on what that asset is or that piece of equipment is, it's useful life, and then it's depreciated over a period of time. But then the government says we have bonus depreciation, which allows you to take, you know, say 50% up front, and then the rest of it you depreciate over its useful life, or Section 179, which is you write the whole thing off that year. And it's it's a non-cash expense. So you're, you've financed, let's just say, a piece of equipment. You may not have laid out that much money, but the government is saying, well, you could expense it in the form of Section 179 and get that deduction this year. So it's important to look the way you depreciate things based on what way your income is that year. So you don't you know, give up this big expense for something maybe where you're in a much lower tax bracket than you may be in the future. Right. So essentially, if I know, let's say it's December 1st, and this year I've made more money than I've ever made in the past, and I'm looking at a fat tax bill. In fact, my CPA, because I've been in touch with him regularly, in other words, at least once a quarter, at the very worst, one, uh, you know, a, a mid-year check-in. I like once a quarter for myself. I don't know what you advise your clients, and we can talk we, about that because I think that's an important point is keeping that communication open, like you said. And, we and do. A, how, what do you I'm do, sorry. by the way? We, we do monthly. You do okay. monthly. Even better. We right? do monthly because we, go, we get on a WebEx, okay, and we have that call. Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be a long call, sure. but we get the communication going. And, yep. you know, we, there's always questions. You always have questions. What, what was this? What was that? And it's much easier when it's a month old than when it's six months old. Yeah. Um, and with the advent of WebEx and Zoom, you know, people aren't leaving their offices. You know, dentist goes into his office, closes the door, you know, turns on his computer, and we're there. And we're talking. Yeah. And then, you know, it might be 15 minutes, might be 45 minutes, and we're done. I love that. Um, in fact, I think if most dentists spent a little more time, like once a month, if all they did was once a month, get on the phone or get on a webinar um, with a prof- you know, with a CPA and, and have a conversation, an intelligent, quick, brief conversation, here's what's going on, here's what we need you to do, right? I mean, that's what we need. We need some guidance and counsel on, on because it could just be, hey, you need to take out an extra $1,000 a month between now and the end of the year for withholding so you're not hit with you know, a $10,000 tax bill you know, at the end of right. the year. Those kinds of things are real helpful because it's easy to come up with a grand a month. It's very, very difficult on April fifteenth to write a check for ten grand for a lot of folks. So Correct. Or, or, or it can just be, you know, what this is the plan we had laid out from you. Have you done this this month? This is what you're supposed to do. Yeah. You, know, you, you, get you need to remind them. Yeah. That yeah. you remind to do that. Yeah, I love it. Um, I don't even remember where I was going, but <laughs> before, I, I apologize. No, don't worry about it. Um, this, this is the beauty of these kinds of conversations. Um, good stuff comes up. So, oh, back to depreciation. So, yeah. So, let's say I have a really killer year. Um, I might want to. I might want to take the, any depreciation that I can get this year. So, I, you know, maybe I'll. Maybe I've purchased a, you know, piece of equipment for fifty grand, and I can take that whole um, that whole depreciation now, uh, which means I can take the expense, even though I might have only put out like two grand in lease payment or not lease, but purchase purchase payments or whatever. Um, so, but what happens next year, right? Because next year, I've uh, maybe I'm, you know, I'm I'm going to make even more money, but I've already taken the full deduction that I can take from one seventy nine from section one seventy nine on the depreciation. What happens next year when I'm making that same $1,000 a month payment on, on, for the purchase of this gizmo? Uh, do I get any tax advantages at that point, or have I used all my tax advantage up? You, you have used them all up, but I like to look at it. If you're already in that, tax bracket, that top tax bracket, you're not going to go any higher. So if I get that deduction today, 
that dollar is worth more to me today than it would be tomorrow. And that's the same theory, you know, behind cost segregation. Mm-hmm. Whereas, let's just say that doctor that's had a great year and he does own his building, all right, and he may be three, four, five years into that building. And now we say, you know what, well, let's do a cost segregation because maybe you've missed some stuff. And all of a sudden, because of that missed depreciation in a cost segregation study, he gets to pick up an extra $80,000 in depreciation that year. You know, and but he's going to lose a thousand dollars a year of depreciation over the next, you know, thirty-five years. Mm-hmm. So most people would say, "Well, I'd rather have that big one today and lose a thousand over the next thirty years." Right. You know, because that right. dollar is worth so much more to me today than it will be in thirty years. Yep. Well, and and I, you know, and, and for yeah, I mean, I like to if I can take advantage of something, a gift from the IRS, I'm, I want to take advantage of it. But I think it's um, I think for a lot of folks that maybe they are on the cusp of those tax bracket changes, it, it makes a lot of sense to be communicating with their CPA. Should I take a portion of this 179 de- exactly. uh, depreciation deduction, or should I take it all? I think those are those are that when those monthly conversations probably really come in handy, huh? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And and being in the top tax bracket, it's a no brainer. If you're not, you really have to look where you're going. Yeah, and congratulations if you are in that top tax bracket. That's kind of a badge of honor, and you should you should be proud to pay all the taxes you're paying. <laughs> Yes, you should uh, be. You should. Yeah. Um, so we've got three. So we've got uh, failing to plan. Uh, the books are a mess, which, by the way, bookkeepers are cheap. Fixing messes is expensive. Um, right. Depreciation done incorrectly. So what's another one? Oh, how about the wrong business entity? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. So maybe, they've maybe, maybe picked a sole proprietorship or they've picked an LLC and they should be a C-Corp or something like that? Yeah, maybe they're an LLC and they should be an S-Corp and, you know, Maybe we could make a late election and correct that and make them taxed as an S-Corp. It all depends because, you know, just because you're a dentist doesn't mean you should be an S-Corp. Right. You know, it depends on what else you have going on. Um, and maybe you have multiple entities, and maybe one entity should be an S-Corp and the rest should be LLCs. So right. you have to look at all that. But, you know, picking the correct entity, you know, can make a very large difference, you know, in the amount of tax you pay. Right. So it's always something we go through and see, okay, is this really the optimum business type of entity? And normally it's not a huge issue to correct that. Okay. Right. The tax code allows us to do certain things, and the tax code allows us to do certain things with a late election, which is a wonderful thing. So I can have somebody come to me in September, October, and we can make an election retroactive to the first of the year. Right. That's good stuff right there because that, that could be huge. I mean, that yes. just, you know – being taxed in, incorrectly is a is a big deal. <laughs> you could really end up screwing yourself. So, yes. um, good, good tip. Uh, what would be the fifth one? Okay, um, let's see. Um, how about the home office? Which you know, it's not a huge one, but it opens the door to so many different things. So you know, and and you'll see a lot of stuff going online, in different forums about the home office. Oh my God, the IRS is going to come down, swoop down from the sky, and take you away. You right. Know, uh, there, there are rules. As long as you follow those rules, you're allowed to take a home office deduction. You know, and one of them is you're supposed to be working about 12 hours a week from your home office. Okay. So most dentists I've worked with spend more than time. You know, whether it's emails, billing, whatever it is, they'd rather do it from home. Okay. Than stuck in their office somewhere. Sure. So, and then once you have that home office, it, it, it opens up travel from one office to another. Mm-hmm. It opens up the auto. It opens up the wonderful um, home athletic facility, which could be your home gym or your pool that now becomes deductible, and it's all 
all in the IRS code allows you to do this. So having that home office, you know, does a lot of things. Oh, I like that. Um, now, that's the first I've heard of, like, a home athletic facility. So, in other words, if you have a home office and you're following the rules that are set out um, by the IRS and you decide you don't want to pay that gym membership anymore and instead you want to invest $5,000 in gym equipment for your home, that may be, there may be some advantage to that. Correct. There will be some tax advantages to that. The oh, same thing it. with a pool. I love it. Very cool. Okay, good. Well, let's move on. I mean, you mentioned um, – you mentioned uh, the wrong entity. I, I actually want to spend a little bit of time on that because um, we deal with a lot of startup doctors, you know, brand new in practice. They've been working as an associate, um, and they're, you know, they're looking at, at opening their own practice. And one of, the, you know, one of the questions they ultimately ask is, um, any thoughts on you know, what kind of business entity? And you, you've mentioned that you know, different business entity, different, uh, or different situations, different business entity. And um, now a lot of doctors, um, I've, I've talked to a few who have, um, who have uh, acknowledged that they've incorrectly chosen the, you know, the wrong entity and they fixed it. But the years that went by where they had that wrong entity, it literally cost them not just thousands of dollars, but tens of thousands, maybe even a hundred or more thousand dollars because of the improper taxing. Um, for the average solo GP, you know, I, I, let's say I'm, I've got a, a solo practice. It's just me. Um, I, you know, I, uh, I don't own the real estate. I'm just leasing it. Um, I own my equipment, of course. Um, but I, my plans are just to be more or less a solo GP. Um, you know, maybe I'm doing 80 grand a month in collections and, you know, I got a million dollar year practice and I, I, that's just kind of where I want to be. I'm comfortable. I'm happy. I have no plans to expand. Um, where would you probably start that conversation? And I'm not saying where it would end necessarily, but where would you probably start that conversation as far as entity choice? Well, we would do an analysis and figure out, okay, is that LLC really the best option for you? Or maybe that LLC needs to make an election to be taxed as an S corporation. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's an $8,000 a year savings for you. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, is $8,000 a lot? It depends on the person. Right. You know, I think if, if somebody came to me with an idea to save $8,000, I'd want to listen. Yeah. (laughs) All day long. (laughs) Yeah. Um, well, people that are, are bleeding eight grand and don't care are, are in a different league and certainly not listening to this phone, to this, to this audio. <laughs> um, uh, okay, I mean, so what about the doc who maybe wants to own real estate? Maybe he owns, he wants to own the building and he's going to go buy it. Um, wh- how would you recommend him, you know, initially? Again, just knowing what little I'm telling you. Doc right. um, wants to buy his building. He's been leasing it, has an opportunity to buy it still doesn't really necessarily plan to, you know, add doctors or anything, and he just wants to maintain his, you know, existing uh, collections level, and, he, you know, he's just happy where he's at. Um, would you suggest a change? Would you suggest the practice buys the building? Um, would you suggest that he, you know, segregate out equipment and then buy the building? I mean, what, what would you look at? What would be possibilities? Well, typically, typically you would want to hold the building in a separate entity, all right, and not owned by the practice, and mm-hmm. typically, you want to hold real estate inside of an LLC, and typically, you want to have each piece of real estate owned separately in separate LLCs. Mm-hmm. So that's the the typical um, way things are done. You look at it, and maybe maybe there that's not the right way to do it in a particular case, but I would say more often than not, that would be the way to go, because mm-hmm. um, God forbid. You know, something happens. You don't want somebody to be able to get, you know, everything. 
Right. So from liability protection, and then there are some you know tax aspects of holding a building um, inside a corporation that are not as good when you're holding it inside of an LLC. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they may not affect you, but they may affect your heirs. God forbid you do get hit by that truck. Right. Well, that's something we all need to be thinking about. Granted, we're not going to be around to worry about it, but what kind of you know what kind of pain and agony aside from our death do we want to put on our family? Right. I mean. You got to kind of exactly. use your head so about that stuff. You, you, um, you bought that building for you know three hundred thousand, and God forbid something happens to you and it's worth six hundred thousand dollars. Wouldn't you want them to be able to sell it if they wanted to the next day and pay no tax versus tax on three hundred thousand? Absolutely. I mean that's right. yeah. I mean you're looking at just capital gains on that's going to be huge on right. a three hundred thousand dollar gain. So yeah. And remember we have recapture also on depreciation that we've taken. So you know now that's ordinary at twenty five percent. So it could be a lot more than just capital gains. It could be it could be extraordinary amount. Yeah. Um, talk about that recapture on depreciation. What does that mean? It basically it's the government's way of getting tax back tax monies back on depreciation you've taken on a building that you've sold. So there are ways to deal with that depending on what where you are in your you know your business and real estate life when you are selling a, a piece of property. Um, but it's just the government's way of getting that that money back. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So, uh, yeah, you've you've basically got a, a loan for a little bit of time. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Gotcha. And it's a good loan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's nonetheless, it's the one that needs to be paid back. It's not a grant, right? <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Um, I've noticed that you have not one time mentioned uh, entity as a sole proprietor. Like, is that just 100% taboo at this point to own anything in your own name? In other words... <sighs> If I've got, if I don't have a professional corporation, if I don't have an LLC, if I don't have an, an S corp or a C corp, and it's all, everything is in my name, like the owner of my office is Jerry Jones, not Jerry Jones PC, but Jerry Jones. Um, I notice you have not given that any nod at all as to, oh, that's okay. So is that a, is that an issue if I own stuff in my name? Yeah, I wouldn't suggest it, and you know, it, it's mostly from a liability side. But it's also there. There are some, you know, as a sole proprietor, you're definitely much more likely to get audited than as an LLC or a, or a corporation or something like that. Really. Um, but but you know, as a dentist, you know, in most states, you know, if you mess somebody's mouth up and they sue you, they could typically come after you personally. Sure. Um, but and so people think, well, why do I need to be, you know, a PLLC or a PC? They could. Uh, I might as well just be a sole proprietor because they could come after me anyway. But let's think about the person that's, you know, in the office and trips and hits their head and something happens to them. You know, that's where potentially having your business inside of a PC or the property inside of a, you know, an S corp or an LLC can make a difference. So if you could, why not plan for all those eventualities that may happen? Hopefully they don't, but they may happen. Yeah. Um, well, I would think, uh, you know, you, you, you want to think about the, not that you not that you 100% all day long dwell on what might happen, but rather just plan for those ugly contingencies that really don't require a lot of extra out of the way, you know. I mean, it isn't difficult from my perspective. It's never been difficult to start no. an LLC, it's and not. it's never been difficult to operate a business within one, and or a, or an S corp for that matter. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I I mean just from a personal standpoint, I feel better personally when you know I know my personal stuff, even though anybody can sue anybody. Um, 
there's a layer at least of protection between my businesses and me personally. I, it just, right. you know, I sleep better at night, I think. And, and a short war story, we had a client that came to us, and this was a number of years ago, and she owned a bunch of rental properties. And they weren't really worth that much money. Um, and she owned them all individually. And between oh. our first meeting and our second meeting, she was sued for mold-induced injury. Oh, God. And, you know, three to five years it was before it was all done in the courts and everything. And apparently, I guess there's a cap on mold for insurance. And I think it was like $25,000. And the, the verdict was about $150,000. Oh, geez. So where if that entity was inside of an LLC, they would have taken that, and that would have been the end of it. But now as she sells each property, she's got to cut a check. So oh, that's a war story, and that's something that's avoidable. And, you know, I frequently give people that little story because it, it can happen because people always think, well, I have insurance. Well, sometimes insurance doesn't quite work out the way you may think it will. Well, and they like to, they like to hedge their bets, those insurance companies. They know what their exposure level can, they, you know, what they can afford from an exposure level, and they're certainly not going to uh, over-insure you <laughs> and protect you if they don't have to. Correct. Um, yeah, that's a brutal lesson. Um, so let's let's shift gears and talk a little bit about debt. Um, it's something that I absolutely abhor, um, and I went through a, a pretty brutal financial mess myself in 2008, like a lot of people did. Uh, I took a financial bath. It, mine was more like an acid bath. Most people just took a regular bath, but mine had a little acid mixed in with it. Um, and so I, I really, you know, quickly realized that in my mind, um, I just I abhor debt and. Um, and I, I realize there's folks out there, uh, financial folks, who really get the numbers and understand how things work far smarter than I am about that. Um, and, and they often uh, beat the drum of uh, there is some good debt. Um, but when it comes to young docs who are leaving school and they've amassed $300,000, $350,000, $400,000 of debt, and then they go and marry a classmate who's got $400,000 of debt, I mean, we're looking at you know $800,000, $900,000 of debt, and they don't even own a practice yet, and they don't have a house but by golly, they've got great educations. What do these guys do? I mean, how how do they think about it? And it isn't necessarily the, the the actions they take, although that's important. But how do they put this crap in perspective? And and is there such a – that's question one. Question two is, is there such a thing as good debt? Well, I'll go to number two. Somebody once told me there's two types of good debt, uh, student loan debt and mortgage debt. Um, and when he said that, I don't think he was talking about $300,000 worth of <laughs> No, I don't think okay. so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, that, that being said, you know, young dentists are coming out with a ton of debt, and, you know, we see most of them are really concentrating on trying to pay that down and, you know, paying it down sooner than later because at some point there's going to be practice debt if they purchase something. And at some point later on, there may be some type of building debt if they purchase a building. So it, it, they are often trying to pay what they have down as fast as possible because, obviously, cash flow is king. And the right. less debt you have, the more cash flow you have. Right. So so I would say, you know, debt as a whole is not a good thing to have if you can, if you can limit it and, you know, manage it. Um, you always have to manage it. Um, when it, what would you do if you had a um, a young, uh, you know, graduate who's working as an associate? Um, what kind of what kind of advice might you give them about managing that debt? 
um, would you give them the kind of the standard advice that uh, you know you gotta you gotta pay off all your small debts first, get those out of the way, and then focus on the bigger chunks, or you know, so you can keep rolling the money that you you know begin to save from not having to pay off debt to put it on the bigger chunks of debt, or you know, sort of the Dave Ramsey process, which um, you know is it seems to work for a lot of folks. Or what would you advise them to do with that, like to manage that debt? Well. I- Fortunately, we don't see a, a lot of people where they're coming in with a lot of extraneous debt other than their student loans because I think they've been so scarred by those huge numbers that they don't want to have any more debt. <laughs> right. um, so I guess that's a, that's a good thing. And then you know, constant, they, they typically want to concentrate on paying off as much of that as fast as possible so they can take the next step of you know, going into their next practice without this huge golden handcuff on them. Yeah. So. Um, and, and we always tell them, you just have to remember, you know, you're paying down that debt. You don't get to deduct that. So you need to, you know, be able to have the money to come up with to pay the taxes because yeah. all that money is taxable income that you're using. So that's, you know, a frequent thing people have. Well, I, you know, I, didn't, I don't have anything left, but I didn't spend it on myself. I just paid down my loan. Yes, you pay down your loan, but that's not a tax deduction. So the government is, you know, still looking for their money. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of the challenging thing because the thought process then has to be, you know, if you're at let's say you're at the, a thirty percent tax bracket and you have just to make the math easy a hundred thousand dollars in loan, to pay that hundred thousand dollars off, and if you don't have state taxes like here in Oregon we have uh, nine, you know, up to nine point nine percent I think on state tax, um, call it ten percent. So between the thirty state or the thirty Fed and the ten percent state, you're at forty percent. You don't have to go out and earn $100,000 in profit. You actually get to go out and earn $140,000 in profit in order to pay that off because you got to cut a check for the taxes, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah, and that's a and that's, that's a and that's after paying that's after paying your living expenses. So it's not easy. And you know, we see these guys. You know, they're working you know six seven days a week, so they could really pay that debt down. Wow. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, that's a really, uh, that's a, it's a tough road, but you know, there's, there's alternatives too. I mean, I, I've got a number of clients who've gone into um, uh, armed services, you know, they've, they've gone to the air force or the Navy or the army or whatever. And um, they served our country, God bless them all. And um, you know, they've, they've been able to erase a significant, if not all of their student debt. And uh, to me, that's, that's a, you know, kind of a no brainer way to go if that's for you. But I mean, if I'd, gone that direction where, you know, if I were a dentist and, and um, uh, boy, that's something I would have looked into because debt forgiveness and getting paid and getting three squares a day in a cot, <laughs> you know, it's a pretty darn good deal. <laughs> so, um, I mean, it sounds good, at least to me, after having been through what I've been through. Um, so you mentioned good debt. So do you buy into that idea that, that, um, that mortgage debt and student loan debt are, is good debt? Or what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, student loan debt gets to where, gets you to where you are. So if the only way you could become a dentist is to take on that debt, yeah, I think that's good debt. You also have to look at where you are, you know, where you're looking to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so let, let's talk about a lawyer that's looking to go into public service and, you know, taking on, you know, $60,000 worth of debt a year for something where she's going to do public service and maybe make $50,000 a year for a number of years because she's really not going to be paid what a lawyer would be paid. So you, you have to kind of look at that and maybe there's another way to go about it. Maybe I need mm-hmm. to go to a different type of school that's going to be less. So um, I, I think typically we're dealing with people when they're already past that. So they've already gotcha. 
you know, encumbered themselves with the debt. Now it's a matter of, okay, what, what do we do from here? What's the best tack to, to take? And typically they do want to pay that off because they see that as an impediment to what they want to do in the future. Yeah. Um, for those docs that are uh, sort of past that, that ugly Mendoza line, maybe they're in their mid to late 40s, um, approaching 50 even, and maybe in their mid 50s, um, when saving when savings starts to become ultra critical. So, you know, they've got one or two kids out of the house, their overhead, their personal overhead starting to drop a little bit. Um, let's say they're, they're taking home 300,000 a year and they come to you and say, um, Craig, I want to maintain my lifestyle 300 grand a year. Um, and I want to practice, you know, I'll, I'll try to make the math easy. Um, 10 more years. What kind of savings? Uh, I guess what I'm looking for here is a, uh, uh, this is kind of a bullet shot uh, or, a, you know, a chest shot. What kind of savings do these docs need to really understand is going to be required if they want to maintain any semblance of their current lifestyle in retirement? I mean, how much money are we talking do they need in the bank? And I know that's a real broad question. So maybe if you could kind of generalize, but I think it's important that we, uh, that we all understand just how much money it's going to take to retire if we want to maintain that lifestyle. Uh, you're, you're talking easily $3 million. Um, you know, if we just use 10%, that's 300 grand a year. Now, obviously, not too many people are doing a 10% rate of return, but when we figure in interest and so on, you know, in their lifespan, so $3, three million off the top of my head is a good number to 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 have. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that's a very, that could be a very aggressive saving schedule. Um depending on the practice. But, you know, now we figure in, okay, what, what can we do? What can we do from a tax perspective to put money away and also get a tax deduction? And now it's not going to cost us as much to accumulate that kind of money. Um, so you mentioned put some money away. So um, are we talking 401Ks? Are we talking SEPs? Um, uh, just, you know, cash savings? Are we talking, you know, uh, Tax liens. All, I mean, what what kind of investments are we thinking here? Or all kind of, of the profit? above. All the all above. Of the okay. above. Yes. So you know, obviously, your 401k savings are going to be a little bit more liquid than obviously if you have real estate investments. And everybody has to do what they're comfortable with. You know, um, there could there could be defined benefit pension plans, but you know, typically, you know, because of staffing and so on, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, so you have to run all those numbers. But mm-hmm. if there's something we can do and still create it to the tax deduction to do it and still save that money, um, that's that's a wonderful thing. And that's what we talk about when we do a tax plan. What you know, these are your goals, this is what you're looking to do. You're fifty years old now, okay, you have X amount saved, all right, but what what are you looking to do and how much do you need? Mhm. Okay. Well, I, you know, I mean, from my own mindset, um, I've always looked at, you know, retirement. I, I've got to have, you know, between three and six million dollars put away somewhere. I mean, it's got to be accessible over the balance of my lifetime. In other words, it can't be held, you know, hostage and I can't get to it. Um, it can't be in a 20-year CD for crying out loud. You know, not that they even have those, but in other words, it's got to be money you can get to, but also money like you indicated that's making a, a decent rate of return. And probably at that point, safety becomes more important than necessarily the, the uh, uh, an aggressive rate of return. Is that true, or am I am I just? No, uh, you, you're spot on. You know, safety is important, and that's why having you know having enough of it so you have 
liquid money that you can use when the market is down or the real estate market is down because, you know, face it, they're all cyclical. Yeah. You, know, you don't want to have to be selling your real estate when the market's down. Right. So uh, you, you need to look at that. And there's so many different alternative investments out there. And, you know, you, you, you hope by the time they're in their 50s, they've, you know, they've already put some money away and they've started and, you know, you know, you never know what you're going to get for that practice. You know, you hope what you're going to get, but you never know what you're going to get. Yep. You know, building is a little bit different. You know, it's a little bit more stable. Um, right. But, you know, I always say you, you don't know what the, the practice is gravy when right. it comes to retirement. It's just gravy. Yep. Yeah, and a lot of docs um, that I know who are, um, you know, who retired and then had to co- go back to work after 08, um, thought that the sale of their practice would end up being, you know, sort of the what got them into retirement. And what a lot of them found out is that number one, they their practices weren't valued nearly as high as they thought they were. In other words, they weren't worth as much. Um, and as they began to sort of taper off their practice, they their new patient flow tapered off, collections tapered off, which means also the the value of their asset, their practice started to taper off as well. So. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, sales numbers are different all over the United States, but I think there's a, you know, basically an average uh, sales price these days of about 70% of the last three years average collections. So if you're collecting a million a year and you've been a million a year the last three years, number one, that's not a good thing because you haven't grown. <laughs> but number two, your practice is really only worth about 700 grand in a lot of cases, most cases probably. Um, but 700 grand, I mean, you can blow through 700 grand pretty quick. Um, it's not, it sounds like a lot of money, but um, it isn't. I mean, it's just not. When you consider longevity, when you consider, you know, emergencies, um, you know, relocation, 700 grand doesn't take very long to blow through it. Um, yes, exactly. Exactly. So I like your idea of, you know, $3 million, um, or more uh, saved and, and ready to go. Um, uh, Craig, we are getting close to the end of our time here. Um, and you and I, as we indicated earlier, we don't like to miss meals. Um, I, I certainly don't. Um, and lunch is coming up quickly for you. And um, what other advice in the few minutes we have remaining would you would you like to offer our audience? And um, and then once you've covered some of that advice, I'd love to um, love to make sure we know how uh, folks can reach out to you if they'd like to speak to you further about your your practice and, and getting some coaching on um, on tax. Great. Yeah. Well, uh, advice more along the lines of what we talk about. It's really important to communicate with your CPA or your tax professional. Um, if you're only speaking with them, you know, in March or April, um, you're both doing each other a disservice. You need to communicate and you need to ask, you know, what, what can I do? What can I be doing to save taxes? Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully when you ask that question, he's going to have an answer for you or he's going to say, okay, well, let me look and see what we can do. Um, so, um, that that's an important thing. Um, you know, it's just more of education and obviously working on the business versus always working in it. And as far mm-hmm. as reaching us, we are going to um, give away a copy of my my first book was an Amazon bestseller. It was Secrets of a Tax-Free Life. That was a co-authored book I did a few years ago. And my most recent book is The Ten Most Expensive Tax Mistakes That Cost Business Owners Thousands and Dentists are professionals, but they do own businesses. Um, we are going to offer a free paper copy of that, you know, paperback of that book. And if they go to our website, um, which is uh, www.craigcodyandcompany.com forward slash Jerry Jones, they could fill out a form and we will send them a copy of our book. Uh, I'm reachable via email at craig 
at ccodycpa.com, and our office number is 516-869-4051, and we do have clients as far away as Oregon. Yeah, we, you mentioned you got one here in Oregon. That's that's very cool. Um, yes, we actually have two. Oh, you got a couple, even better. Yes. Um, yes. Well, uh, so it's it's Craig Cody and Company dot com, and I'll spell that out. It's Craig C R A I G. Your last name is C O D Y, and then the word and A N D Company spelled out in full C O M P A N Y. So Craig Cody and Company dot com forward slash. What was the forward slash? Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones. Okay, so uh, the the infamous Jerry Jones. Yeah. Um, perfect. Well, that's cool. So you've got um, you're offering a couple of uh, free giveaways here to our listeners, which is great, um, folks. I got I got no interest in Craig's business. Um, we're just doing this call to bring you some great information, um, and he's being generous with his resources and, and making sure that uh, hopefully you can um, take advantage of uh, five more uh, big mistakes that you might be making that you can now avoid if you request Craig's book. So I'd really encourage you to go out there and and learn. There is. Um, and, and Craig, I know you probably noticed this as well, but there is a commonality among high-level, high-income earners, and that commonality is curiosity. In other words, what does Craig know that I don't know that I should know that I can apply to my business and save money on taxes or or uh, or increase my revenue? Um, because a lot of times these tax savings measures help increase revenue overall and and your net profit. So um, among high performers, high income earners, curiosity is is a huge, I mean, it's a big personality trait that that all of us have. So if that's you, you should be checking this out um, and go over to craigcodyandcompany.com forward slash Jerry Jones. And Craig's got a great free offer waiting for you there. Um, Craig, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. And um, thank you again to your father, to your son, and to yourself for your service um, and, uh, and, and, and being a cop because to me, that's just one of those jobs that it's sometimes it can be thankless, and you guys have been victimized, uh, beat up, and brutalized in the media, and shame on them. Um, and hopefully, they come to their senses at some point and realize that without folks like you who are willing every day to get up and uh, put on your uniform and put your life on the line, um, uh, you know, I got nothing but respect for you guys. And uh, thank you very, very much um, for being well, there for us. So, well, thank you for that, and, and thank you very much for having me on your show. Absolutely, Craig. Thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. This is Jerry Jones with Craig Coding Company, and we'll be back next month. All right, thanks, everybody. Hey, Jerry Jones here. Thank you for joining me on this edition of the Jerry Jones Radio Show. You've reached the end of this segment. You can always listen in to the next show by visiting jerryjonesdirect.com forward slash podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher, or find the show at blogtalkradio.com forward slash jerryjones. For more information about Jerry Jones Direct, go to jerryjonesdirect.com or give us a call, 503-339-6000. Our member ambassadors are standing by to assist you. And once again, thank you for listening to The Jerry Jones Radio Show.